There are silent killers identified by nearly every SFP's task force that our guest worked with. And they constituted a syndrome. That is, the weaknesses were usually reported together. The good news is that these silent killers can be inoculated by the SFP process. SFP allows you both to discover all the silent killers that are in your organization at once and to make an action plan to solve them all at once. It sounds like a lot. It is a lot, but it works. And our guest is the author of that book, Fit to Compete. Mike Beer, welcome back. Thank you very much, Aiden. Happy to be here. <clears throat> Let's talk about these fundamental problems. Absolutely. And I was telling you off air, my, my pin, my chosen pin for part three is the kid from the emperor's new clothes covering their mouth saying, don't speak, don't say. And this is the idea of silent killers. So I thought what we do with the silent killers is I'll, I'll introduce each one of them. And I pulled a quote from the story that you tell in the book. So Mike in the book in the chapter about silent killers couches them in the story of Hewlett Packard's Santa Rosa Systems Division, SRSD, because this is a team that had experienced all of these silent killers, but also learned how to inoculate them using the SFP process. So let's start with silent killer number one, unclear strategy, unclear values, and conflicting priorities. This was mentioned probably 10 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 times. All of these were mentioned better than eight uh, up to 10. So what people were saying is that there are several things they're saying. Some of them said our strategy is not exactly right. But most of them were saying we simply don't understand our strategy. Now, why would that be? I think it it is because, and we have, and none of these, by the way, we've been able to tell management about directly, explain ourselves, have a conversation about what's going on with this unclear strategy and why it is. What they say is that the reason this occurs is that senior team has not really agreed and committed itself to the direction. So they have a strategy meeting. They talk about the goals and a set of the direction. And they go out to their parts of the organization and they sort of don't aren't clear about it or disagree or don't or, or disagree with it. In the Santa Rosa Systems Division, there was a basic split. I mean, basically the task force came back and said, we got two strategies. They're conflicting with each other. No kidding, it's unclear. Okay. So one was that they were doing R&D work to try to develop digital, more more fundamental platforms for something that could be done by a engineer going to the company to put together the equipment and the, and the software that would sense the frequencies that their product was supposed to do. And what they were trying to do was say, look, we, let's get away from the single engineer going out to the company. Let's create a platform and sell the platform to a host of companies who fit the who fit the same basic pattern. So we'll have so there was an R and D going on to do this. This was a newly formed division. Top management said to Scott Wright, the general manager, "Guess what? We have an opportunity for you. 
you're a marketing guy, but we're going to make you a general manager. They didn't say it that way, but that's really what happened. And here is a team. We'll put together a team from other, a, a new team. And you guys are in a new business. Get us into a business that is connected to the internet. And that was all what this was, you know, what are frequency measurements required to be on an internet, in the internet world. And uh, they had a strategy meeting and decided R&D was the most important long-term thing, but we also got to make money today. So they set up, they, they had a, 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 a custom group that would go out to these companies and do it the old way, you know, to do it the hands-on way. Let's send an engineer out. Let's get all the stuff together, put the software in place. Now they can measure the frequencies they want to measure because that's what the basic product does. But what happened was it takes time to develop. So the, the requirement to make money now, in many ways, it's the ambidextrous problem that you talked to Mike Tushman about. The desire to make money, the guys in custom systems says, I got a lot of stuff coming in. If we take it, we're going to be able to make money. And I'm a good HP employee. We're going to make money. So he de-emphasized, he talked about that. And the conflict was around engineering resources. We need engineers to go out and do these one-off things. No, we need engineers to really create the future. And they never worked that out sufficiently. What happened was the custom systems guy was really dedicated to making this division a success. They had to produce growth and profits or management wasn't going to be happy. So he says, I'm, no, I, I can do make profits. That's what I'm going to do. But he didn't put that into the right perspective when he talked about it. And the R&D people probably didn't put it in the right perspective. This was a difficult, two things have to go on at the same time. And while Mike would say, let's split these into two companies. No, there weren't enough resources to do that. They had to do both because we discussed that possibility. No. You can't create two businesses. There just isn't enough resources to do it. So that was the reason, that was the main reason for Unclear and a lot of companies. It may not have been as, 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 as bad as it was at SRSD because of the, of the fact that they were moving into a, a whole new technology, but it was a problem in a lot of organizations. The senior team never really fully participated in the creation of the strategy goals. It was done by the general manager or the CEO and their strategy planning department or the marketing person and business unit. And, you know, other people got involved a little bit, but they never really talked it through. That's what's required of the senior team. Then they can, and then what's required is to have a set of discussions, not just, oh, let, let's, let's put a, presentation together and let's do this once and everybody will get it. No, people need to be able to talk about it, to ask questions about it, to challenge it, hear what management's thinking is before it becomes clear what it is you have to do. So that's the story behind this, but it's connected to all the other silent killers. And particularly silent killer number two feeds it directly. And we alluded to this one when we talked about Nokia in particular, 
an ineffective senior team and a little quote I pulled here about this one is a senior team this was how it was reported in HP operate within their silos like fiefdoms that refuse to cooperate effectively for fear of losing power and anyone who worked in innovation have experienced that so over to you Mike for silent killer number two it's right on Aiden you read the book very carefully thank you <laughs> The, the senior team is 10 out of 10. In every organization, the senior team, it varies. I mean, some of them are really bad, like SRSD was, you know, really in their own fiefdoms, particularly on the R&D custom systems part. But it's true of all organizations. The senior team is really composed of individuals with different disciplines. Uh, Lawrence and Lorsch call this differentiating views. You need differentiation between departments and functions and activities to get expertise, but you also need integration. And the senior team was not doing, so they were coming with their marketing hat on, with their operations hat on, with their R&D hat on, and they're not really looking at the problem from an overall perspective. And, and that is generally true to some degree on almost all senior teams. Why? Because not enough time has been spent in developing a common understanding and commitment to the direction. It's a one-off, let's, let's, let's have the marketing or the strategy guys do it, present to us, we can ask questions, done, no. As Peter Dunn, the CEO of Steak and Shakes, what he did was when he took over the company, they he brought the senior team together, and they spent a full day just working through what are we what are we trying to do here? What is it that we really need to do? And the second discussion, which is often missing in all senior team discussions, is what legacy do we want to leave? What is our purpose beyond making sure that we make some money, if you will. Is there any other purpose? Is there any, any kind of values? He actually, he actually had a full discussion open-endedly. He didn't bring in and say, here's what I think we should, what our value should be. This is what I think based on discussions with the marketing person or my strategic planning person, what the strategy is. He built it from the bottom up, from the ground up. They co-created it. Now, of course, he had some of his own ideas. So does every CEO. So does every general manager. That's in the mix. But it isn't the dominant factor. One of Ed Ludwig, CEO of Beckton Dickinson's greatest strength was how he dealt with the senior team. He never started by telling them what he thought they should do on problem X, Y, and Z. He let a discussion go forward and he tried to summarize what that discussion was about, paraphrasing and so forth. And then he said, am I hearing this right? And, no, you're not hearing it right, Ed. So let's go back and talk about it some more. And here's, by the way, I think, I mean, you, you can be in the, in the mix, you have a point of view but you don't want to be dominating with that point of view to prevent the total uh, development of this by the team. Uh, and, and, and you need to figure out how to break 
break disagree, how to move beyond disagreements if you can't get agreement and consensus. That's another story we also help uh, SRSD with because they tend, and the, Scott Wright, as they were moving along, gave up because this conflict came into every meeting. So what did he do, which made the senior team even less effective? He never had strategy discussions with any of them. He'd do it, he, everything was one-on-one. -on -one. That is a syndrome uh, that if you see that going on, one-on-one -on -one stuff, and the senior team is not meeting and dealing with the issues as a team, you have a big time problem. That breaks down and, and you don't have a senior team. It's obviously ineffective. You never get it to try to work right and to figure out how to have discussions and get beyond. So we taught SRSD so they could bring it back together as a team and work as a team, a method for developing consensus and agreeing how to move forward. You set the dialogue for a certain time on whatever issue, problem, or strategic or otherwise. Two, you allow the discussion to go forward. If a consensus is built, move. If you can't develop agreement, and they were not able to develop agreement because this tension between R&D and, and the custom systems was ongoing, the general manager makes the decision. That is, you know, we, we're done in two hours now and we haven't been able to convince each other. I make the general manager. Now the general manager comes back and says, this is my decision. You have another 15 or 20 minutes to tell me why I'm wrong. And wake me up and tell me why this is wrong. Okay, that's all back to you. You're getting feedback as a general manager about what it is that is problematic with the direction. If at that point you can't get another consensus around an alternative to what the general manager or the CEO has proposed, the general manager decides. That's it. And you commit to go out to the organization and speak with one voice. They were not doing that at SRSD for sure at the beginning, not speaking with one voice, unclear strategy and unclear and conflicting priorities. Because if you can't agree on priorities, what happens is somebody who thinks number uh, project X is priority one focuses all their resources on that. The other department thinks no, three is right. So we're going to focus all our resources on three. No, you can't. That's why you can't get, that's the seventh, the fourth silent killers. You get cord, you can't get coordination and 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 teamwork to solve that one of the problems, the most important problem. That was a problem in the electronic products division. There were two or three different priority ones in different departments about new products. Which new product are we really working on so we can all work on it together, put all our, re no, wasn't going on until we <laughs> began to talk about the importance of agreeing on priorities and meaning it and and having a voice and and orienting your own organization to that. So yes, ineffective senior team without a problem. This is the most important thing they have to agree on values. They have to agree on purpose. They have to agree on strategy. Mike, one of the things I, it made me think of was Jeff Bezos 
writes these brilliant when he was CEO of Amazon he wrote these brilliant letters to shareholders and one of them he talked about this thing a value in Amazon called disagree and commit and it was essentially that you can disagree but you commit to it and you don't walk out of the room and start moaning to the rest of the organization which is exactly what the common way is you know and I I love the way and and you know a tip of the hat to Scott Wright in HP who was so open to sharing this because that shows real bravery as a leader as well because he let you write about what people said about him here and in a couple of cases I have a couple of quotes here maybe you'll elaborate on one team member described Scott as a very perceptive and intelligent manager and if you disagree with him he will ask you about 50 questions until he finds a weakness. And by that point, you're no longer in in much of a mood to continue supporting your argument. And it made me think of a a really old quote attributed to Sam Goldwyn. He said, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was kind of what he was trying to do. I'll give you my opinion. (laughs) I'll whittle you down until you agree with me. Sometimes they were very direct. They were very direct about Scott Wright. Other places, um, uh, they were very direct about Tom McAvoy, uh, which is in the preface of the book, um, which cut my teeth on understanding why in a changing world you need to realign the organization, fit the organization to the strategy, or you can't compete, which is what was happening to them. But they were very direct about his great strengths. He had many, but also a few weaknesses that he had. And as an R&D guy, he was coming in from another job. He had some weaknesses. One of them was, you know, so Scott Wright had weaknesses. And the weaknesses were that he was conflict averse and he could not really bring people together to some agreement using my method or any other method. A good leader can do that, and people come out of the room saying, "We all know what the what what we need to do," and they don't feel go out resentful, or they don't go out, you know, saying, oh, I, "I agreed in the room with such." Well, this is what happens: we have agreement over disagreements. Uh, you know, they kind of paper it over with, "Oh, yeah, we agree." Well, we don't, and that's why the senior leader is very important in orchestrating an effective senior team. The task forces came back over and over again. We got a top-down leader. Basically, he does, he or she decides uh, and isn't involving the senior team in the vital conversations about direction, strategy, goals, and so on sufficiently. In fact, he's going directly to my people and telling them what he thinks they need to do uh, and is bypassing the actions of the the processes that the senior team really needs to go through. Or the leader is laissez-faire, never really pushing an issue and saying, this is an important issue for us. I know there are disagreements. Let's get going, either at the senior team level or doesn't confront the organization with tensions and says, we got the result. So the conflict aversion is one of the biggest problems in management, in senior managers, they have to be willing to engage the organization in a productive discussion, conversation about what the problem is and how do we get going. The senior team, 
or they've got to get people in the organization to work on a project in a way that's constructive, uh, you know, brings the right people together to talk about the right problem in the right way. That's the way, that's the secret, uh, but difficult to do if you're conflict averse. And sometimes in the case of Scott Wright, he was not visible enough. So there was a good reason for that. He was also signed to a corporate project and he wasn't there enough. That also is a difficulty that can occur. But mainly you want to be visible and you want to put the issues on the table and you want to get the organization discussion going at, particularly at the senior team level. So the leader was embedded and was responsible for the senior team's ineffectiveness. Mike, I have a good one for you. I haven't shared this, uh, certainly not publicly like this, <laughs> but I, I was running a, a workshop once and it was on speaking up or speaking through to power. It was about communication. And when I started for the first hour, so I did, did about 40 minutes before we had a coffee break and I, I discovered my fly was down for, <laughs> for the first 40 minutes, right? And a guy says it to me, like, so there's 30 people there. A guy says it to me, he goes, you know, uh, just Aiden, you're flying low. And I was like, going and going, oh, man, when did that happen? He's like, oh, from the start. And I said, when did you spot it? And he goes, from the start. And I was like, going, this program is about speaking up. <laughs> and you've been sitting on that for an hour. And I said it to them then. And then they thought it was part of the program that I was seeing. Would anybody speak up about it? But it, it just point, it proved the point that people are are programmed that way sometimes not to speak up. There's there's vast amount of research. Jim Dieter is a, one of them who did it. Uh, Amy Edmondson has picked up the same thing. They both published on this as well. Let me go back to one story that demonstrates this problem. The way I I got involved with, with uh, SRSD, the division of Hewlett Packard, was that I was giving a talk at Hewlett Packard headquarters and their HR manager was there. She heard what I said, what I talked about, alignment and, and silent killers and SSP, SFP. And she, she ran up to me after the, she said, we got to do this. I said, okay, go talk to Scott Wright. He, it's got to be him who wants to do it. No, Scott Wright would not agree. He was conflict averse. So he said, but let's get Mike in here to give a seminar on this to the top 40 in my, my business. I came, I make, gave the talk, uh, had a case on the electronic products division, and people started telling, to, to, is this, uh, did you know about our problems? No, because the problems are common. Okay, they're, they're very similar. They manifest in different ways. Uh, and so on and so forth. And then I noticed, and, and I said, have you ever talked about it with Scott Wright or openly? No, we have not. So he, at the end of the session, I noticed 10 people uh, descending on Scott Wright. And of course, I had a guess of what it was, but I knew later when I heard. They came and said, Scott, we got to do the strategic fitness process. We got to get these issues on the table to talk about. And that's when he agreed to do it. And then from there on, it was a learning experience for him. He got the courage up to do it, but only after he was pushed. Good leaders 
are courageous and the leaders who've been not so effective are either the top-down version is not courageous because they're top-down because they want to have conflict. The laissez-faire leader doesn't disband their senior team as Scott Wright did or just don't push a discussion of differences. They just basically stop meeting as a team because they're conflict-averse. You have to have a positive view towards getting to the disagreements and resolving them constructively at multiple levels at your senior team and within the organization because they occur. So you got to do that. That's the problem with, with leadership. Speaking of different divisions, that represents a huge problem here. Another signing killer, which is poor coordination across businesses, functions, and increasingly then geographic regions and inadequate leadership development then is another one. But let's start with that one, the poor coordination. And this is even more the case now with work from home, for example, really makes this a challenge. Coordination is the central problem. It's integration of different perspectives and different departments, all of which are needed with those different perspectives to do the job well. Expertise is in the functions. Integration is the role of the manager and the senior team. And none of this was really happening Oh, and a, a clear direction, that is what's needed for coordination. So coordination was partly that, and also coordination was no mechanisms for getting different parts of the organization to work together. So two examples, one is in my prefaces, is the electronic product division. We've got to develop new products. They'd never had to de develop them at the rate because the industry changed, their, their focus changed, not the industry. And and they chose to compete in certain industries required rapid response. No, everything went to the top in a huge 30-person product development meeting. And uh, periodically, they would they very often would get to a place where well, I don't really know what's going on. Let's call so-and-so down to the plant. Let's call so-and-so in marketing. Let's call so-and-so in R&D so we can make the right decision. What they did based on analysis and action jointly arrived at, developed project teams for every new product they had going. They had 12. And they had to reass that's the mechanisms, designing coordination mechanisms into the organization. Scott Wright, back to SRSD, had recognized the need for coordination around strategic thinking between the key, key activities. So he set up a, a strategic teams, but they were talking teams. No one had a responsibility for this business, that business, and that, but we're just talking about it, and we're going to have some thoughts for Scott Wright and the organization about what the right direction is and whether we're heading in or whether this is going to be even successful. And what they finally did is they said, no, we got to have a regular matrix organization with a profit center for business one, profit center for business two, profit center for business three, and profit center for business four. All the people have to meet together and say they are jointly come up there to build the business. And their goals, so we said, 
how do you run this kind of an organization? And they kind of worked, they really didn't know how to do this. First, they didn't set it up, right? They didn't know how to do it. So we said, look, the businesses are responsible for what, why, and what. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And here are the dates we need to get this. We need engineering to do this by this date so we can have it done by the, all that agreement has to occur horizontally. The functions are about the expertise in doing it. So engineering is responsible for the quality of the engineering activity and for the selection of key of people into the function who have that expertise. So selection and development of the expertise of engineers is the function of the engineering manager. The same is true for marketing and so forth. That meant that accountability for people and their performance was two-way. The business leader responsible for the what and when. Is this person cooperating? Is he a good member of my team delivering things on time? The engineering function, are these people the best we can get to do this work? And are they doing it well and effectively uh, within the function. And those two people have to come together for the performance evaluation. They have to agree on letting somebody go if, or, or demoting somebody or whatever might happen. HP was more demotion than, than firing, although they also fired. Uh, but we have to agree on the management of that particular person. So two people are evaluating a person whatever function they're in. That is a whole different pattern. They adopted that pattern and were able to make these business teams really function effectively. But two or three year, years later, they really looked at it and said, well, maybe we're sloughing off a little bit. We're, now what happened? So that that's basically the development of that matrix was, was a critical solution to the coordination problem along with getting the senior team to work together. One or the other, they have to work together in this because the reporting process is different and so forth without going into a lot of detail. They had to work that through and get get that done to improve coordination. And then be beyond, I was thinking about this where you were describing it in the chapter is, so you, you might have then agreed on a new strategy, new direction, new products to be built, etc. You have agreement from the team. But then oftentimes you discover there's gaps in capabilities. And this is where the next silent killer is inadequate leadership development. And I'd love you to share this one. The people who were on the task force in the interviews they did over and over in many organizations, they said our leadership development process is inadequate. It's not working well. We don't have it. It's not strong. And, or we're not getting any development at all. Nobody's coaching us. Nobody's doing anything. Uh, so it varied in intensity. Um, this was also a problem at the Santa Rosa Systems Division. And when you look at these organizations, why is this a problem? One of the reasons is that they have no, the most important thing in developing leaders, the research shows, is to create a system of leadership development. Leadership development is not training. That's the great training robbery. 
you just train them. And I wrote an article about this in, in Harvard Business Review. And, and basically doing that is 20% of the, of the work. It's, I don't mean that you shouldn't do any of it, but it's gotta be very closely related to the way you get people to move across activities. Leaders need to learn, a, get, develop a general management perspective. That is understanding they have an expertise they come from, and but they need to develop an understanding of all the other activities and how they work together and interact to really achieve excellence in performance and excellence in teamwork and and how to and to lead that kind those kind of cross-functional teams. And that did not exist at SRSD. It did not exist at Beckton Dickinson. It did not exist at, uh, at the electronic products division. It didn't exist in a lot of organizations that I talk about in the book. The reason for that, again, is the senior team may not, uh, they have to agree, each member of the team has to agree to let the best people go who need further development because you're trying to develop the high potentials. So you don't want to lose a high potential guy because you're thinking my success as a manager of engineering, oh my God, you know, how the hell am I going to get it done? No, you've got to, when the time comes, as the senior team has agreed. So the senior team has a list of the, who are the people we're developing in the organization to have a leadership and general management capability that are going to be the ones we look to to run the other teams, to do run a new business if we buy it, whatever else. That is not was not happening in SRSD, and uh, was not happening in a lot of companies. The great training robbery dominated. So, you know, the manager, the CEO would call HR, said, "Can we have a training program for?" Because I see that as a problem. No, that that is not sufficient. It's not a bad idea, but it's not sufficient, and that's not where you start. You start by saying, what's the system by which we develop leaders? And people want the ability to grow. And those people, the best people do. And the best people try to try to, you know, either they decide to be functional managers. They want to really develop their expertise. They need to grow, too, in terms of their expert knowledge of their function. That's the functional responsibility the general management and leadership responsibility is the senior teams. And they don't, don't meet to talk about people, don't spend enough time and resources on getting the right decision about where they should go. And they haven't built an organization where that kind of cooperation, oh, I'll let my best person go to you because it's good for the organization. Where this really showed up as a weakness is when we were talking about the matrix, which I just mentioned, to improve coordination. And I said, who's going to run these senior teams? Where, where are you? We don't have any. We don't have any, literally. So they decided individually, the functional heads, to wear two hats, run a business, and also run a function. Of course, that actually helped them understand each other better, but it, it's not a viable solution for the long run. And eventually, actually, some of them who had businesses that were growing were separated as a separate division of SRSD. 
Mike, one of the things you, you kind of mentioned this about like the the difference in the different sections of the business, like marketing and sales and R and D, and they all have different ways of working, different languages, different acronyms, different jargon for each of those. Then there's the one where you have you want to hear from the edges of the organization. Andy Grove, the former CEO of May Rest in Peace of Intel, he said the snow melts from the edges. So so the edges of the organization is where the information usually comes from. And th this feeds into the next one, which is in inadequate vertical communication. And this could be non-existence. It could, it could be you have no means for people who are out in the field to be able to in communicate the what they're seeing back to the people who are developing the strategy. And this is where you talk about the silent killer, inadequate vert vertical communication upwards and back downwards again. Yeah, yeah. the downward is taking the strategy and building it into an understanding in the organization. It's not a, you know, a nice polished presentation with all the logic, but no discussion and no development of understanding. And it's frequently, frequently, we, we did a study of, and we wrote a book, Higher Ambition. We talked about how leaders develop that in the organization, a higher ambition to do better, to live by certain values. And one CEO said, I spend all my time going around the organization, talking to people about this new direction, these values, this, this, and the other. And until I get sick and tired of doing it, and I keep doing it because it's so important. So she was having these discussions about our strategy, about our purpose, about our values in multiple parts of the organization on almost an ongoing basis. So all of this, all of these changes require adaptation on the part of the CEO or the leader of a business or whatever it might be to readapt their own role to do what is necessary for the organization to exist effectively. And of course, my argument is that we have one more silent killer we want to go to, but my argument on, the, and so that was not happening well downward. Again, why do we have an unclear strategy reporting because of that? And the other was, you know, we have a lot of information about where the system is broken. And we're not able to talk directly to the senior team about it. We can't have a discussion. I might whisper in somebody's ear, but that's not getting change. So the ability for them to you know, it's about your fly, okay? It's the ability to call, to really talk about what is broken in the organization, what's working is, does not, is not a habit in most organizations and everything in the hierarchical organization about it prevents it. Hierarchy is necessary, but it can do great damage if you don't overcome it. And that means that the reason you need hierarchy is somebody's got to decide when there's when there is disagreement. It's like I said, Scott Wright decides when we can't agree. Somebody's got to do that or the organization is going to be stuck forever. Uh, but you also need to hear. So the job of the general manager is advocacy and dialogue about what it is we're doing. And inquiry is the direction clear. Is the organization able to implement the direction? Are we fit to compete? Those are the, that you got to hear from the bottom because nobody's going to tell you your fly is open. I mean, truth, to, you know, 
it's it's like the proverbial, you know, the emperor doesn't wear any clothes. Nobody, it, it's just hard to do. Management like likes the power they have, and they're un, they're reluctant to go. Depending, there are exceptions to that, and this is the pro, the exceptions are the great leaders who are humble enough to inquire. Ed Ludwig is one of them. Lynn Camp learned that was what oriented that way. Another leader in the book, but. Most are not, and they need some disciplinary way to hear the truth, even if it's uncomfortable and they prefer not to. Because without a push of, I'll get to this at the end of our discussion, a governance and learning system that they makes them hear, whether they like it or not, periodically. Uh, so you have to suspend hierarchy. What the strategic fitness process does is it suspends hierarchy for a period of days and weeks and not months so that we can decide what what's wrong here it's the army and the, the military have learned this with what they call after action reviews in after action reviews the lieutenant the sergeant can talk to the colonel we screwed up here you screwed up here when you gave that order. It didn't happen in the Air Force in the years that I was in the Air Force because I never could talk about the major who made me, who didn't agree with me and wanted to court-martial me. That's a sickness in the organization for things that are R&D. In the battlefield, yes. So the, we need hierarchy, but in creative tasks, it's death. It's beautifully said, Mike. And that <laughs> I just keep thinking about the trauma of having my fly down. Like sometimes you want to know that your fly is is down. You want you want to know when you're off track. You I know. Do. <laughs> you want to know when the strategy's gonna go foobar. You want to know these things. It may be the right strategy, but people don't get it. They're not functioning in a way that they understand completely. You want to know that. In the book, it's six silent killers. In that article that I'll link to again, the Great Training Robbery. It's six. But Mike has a new book on the way, and he's found that actually there's a seventh. The seventh is we can't speak truth to power, and we're not getting good vertical communication. That is the reason why all of these things are silent, because we can't have that conversation, the meaningful conversation. That is the underlying, underlying reason for why these things are not talked about. But yet we did find a seventh killer. We think it's more... A result. It probably was there all the time, but it's really hurting now. As the world is changing, com companies need to respond to be uh, ag agile. Okay, then we're not agile because they can't talk about the six silent killers, but they can't talk about the seventh either. The seventh is inadequate authority of decision rights to lower and lower parts of the organization. That is killing the bureaucracy bureaucracy is you got to go to the boss and agree get his, get their agreement or make have them make the decision because we don't have the decision rights so you need to organize more and more for people to make decisions at their level and yet be accountable for the for the performance i mean it's one thing to say you can decide anything you want but you got to be accountable for the result so this is really thinking through a very unbureaucrat 
new new organizational forms. Uh, and Zanini uh, have written a brilliant book called Democracy, uh, which is based on looking at companies that have tried to solve this bureaucracy problem, which is both poor in responding and also kills decision-making and growth and human qualities in the organization. It, it leads to passivity. So that is what you got to think through. So can we divisionalize without increasing the cost too much, but give people the same? What are we holding people accountable for? The, take take a, a, a support function in a, any organization, you name it, finance or any other. They're not doing the work there or human resources or any other for that matter. Marketing, they're responsible to others to do the work. They're not just doing working on their own. Why not measure them and hold them accountable for the satisfaction with their services? And you can make that real by in fact giving them their budget is dependent on all the other activities around them, giving them resources. So one of the things that I did at Corning when I had my 11 years there, I persuaded uh, them, I persuaded, well, Tom McAvoy was a client, he became president. I said, Tom, you and I agree this service should, what we do should be more widespread in the organization. And you don't want to dictate that. I understand that. That's fine. Let us work with managers and have them pay for our services. So we became an internal consulting firm. Only half of my salary was corporate because there were corporate activities I had to participate. The rest of it was all based on what, what our clients were willing to do. So that is a measure that made us accountable to our clients. If you're getting paid for, by them, you better do it right, and and so on. So that's one example, using customers and and results in the marketplace as a way of holding more and more people accountable, so that they then make decisions that are consistent with making the best decision. The most important thing a senior team does, and every manager has to think through, is the 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 relationship between goals and resources. Resources are always limited. So how do we manage resources to achieve what we want to achieve? How much of it is investment in the future? How much of it is in operations and in what ways? That is the most important strategic, long-term strategic set of decisions that managers have to make. And the more you hold them account, give them decision rights and hold them accountable for the results beyond my opinion. Oh, I think you're a great guy and we should give, no, you got to have measures. And that that's very important. <laughs> I just want to explain here. We've only really covered three chapters and not even really three chapters in the three episodes we've done. There's so much research in this because Mike has gone back to the well, all the other books that he's written, all the articles that he's written, they're all integrated in here, along with all the experience that he has had as an academic and as a practitioner in the field and all those stories and research that, that Mike's done on his team with executives in charge. 
But I wanted to jump to one part that I thought was really important. This is the leadership qualities required. And I pulled a little quote here to tee you up for this because you write in the book that an in-depth study of 12 organizations whose leaders implemented SFP showed that the degree of success depended on leadership and the organizational environment. Most important was the leader's determination to close a performance gap to transform the organization and how well their values aligned with SFP's underlying values, namely openness to learning and acting on the straight truth. Because that's one of the reasons I've worn these pins. La yesterday, or the last day we did the session, I wore a pin where the ears were closed because many leaders don't want to hear this. They want to just be busy doing things, not busy fixing things, or certainly not busy preparing for a future more competitive environment that will probably do better when they leave the organization, which is a big challenge for people. But maybe you'll share, Mike, here, the leadership qualities required for true success. Okay. Uh, let me just say another thing that we haven't talked about, which is very often when you ask people about their experience with SFP, said, what did I, what did you learn? What, what was important here? And I think there are several things they say. First of all, they would say the problems we heard about our function of our leadership. We need to lead more strongly to be leaders. We haven't been leaders. What does that really mean? I think what it means is if you can't confront and deal with these seven silent killers, which I argue are basic capabilities of the organization. This is what enables the organization to be effective, to perform, to live to its aspirations, including its values. You need to have a good functioning team, an effective functioning team. You need a, a clear strategy, broadly understood. You need a leader who is open to inquiry and is humble. You need, you need a leader who is able to figure out what the right organizational, how to organize to achieve what is done, what is what it needs to be achieved. A leader who is get gets a gets the leadership development process going and keeps it going, even in bad times, to be able to have the leaders they need when they need it. SRSD, we talked about, didn't have them. And most important to all that is the qualities of the leader themselves. Back to, you need an open conversation. You need to delegate it, but you can't really know any of these things well. So you need leaders, so the personal qualities of leaders that they have to develop or at least be able to move towards, because nobody's perfect, is first of all, they have to be clear. They have to have a, a an ambition. We called it a higher ambition to create a very good, very great organization uh, with the right ability to perform and the right values and human centricity that's required to create commitment and trust. And and that that you have to have that some element of that ambition. You want, to, you want to really be good and do what the company needs, but you also want to do it in a way 
that's human centric. And if you don't have those instincts, you need to develop them. As Peter Drucker said, all well, he wrote a book called The Effective Executive, which I've actually been going through recently because my book is a compliment to his. It's The Effective Organization, the next one, the next book. And, and it's based on these seven capabilities. You've got to be able to develop them. So the leader has to have an ambition, but they also have to have the courage. That, well, both are required. The courage to say what the ambition ideally should be and make it discussable, not dictated, because that's not going to work either. So you have to be have the courage to have an honest conversation and to learn what's not working, what's working and what's not working. You want to know what's working too, because you always have some strengths there. You want to leverage those strengths and you want to see what you can do to mitigate the danger of the weaknesses. The argument I make is that the seven silent killers are core capabilities. If you're saying, what do you need to be effective? You know, people will say a bunch of things. You got to decentralize. You, you got to have good marketing. You got to have this and that. Yes, all those are true, but they're never going to happen and get executed in an effective way unless these seven capabilities are fully developed and continue to develop. The leader's role is to recognize that they're important, to have the courage to hear about them, to have the courage to engage people in changing them. And occasionally it does mean some people have to go. There's no change effort. You make the effort to coach them, to develop them. But if after a year or two, they got to go. So Ed Ludwig learned that his engineering department <clears throat> was a problem, a major problem in developing the products that they fell behind a competitor when he arrived. Great, great entry. And he, over time, well, the feedback was clear. It was the engineering manager and his lack of collaboration and coordination with other functions. And he eventually just asked that engineering manager, this is the problem, sir. And well, how can we fix this? He said, well, maybe I just really need to become a head engineer and not a gen engineering manager. <clears throat> and that's what happened. They said they were, once they learned about the problem, they agreed and they really moved off the, the management job. They were not the leaders and general managers. They, that perspective was not in them. So the, this, the ability to have the courage and the humbleness to hear these things, sir, your fly is down. You need to really, I, I love that story because it, I've been in it myself. So, <laughs> Oh, thank God. I'm not alone. <clears throat> yeah. so, so basically that is a core, cor but that takes courage. It takes courage to create a vision and say, can we try to move in that direction? Let's discuss it. Let's find out whether we all agree on it. And it takes courage to then have an honest conversation. And it takes courage to identify people who cannot or will not engage the organization and the people in creating good capabilities. And in my view, what I argued was that each organization Leaders need to discipline themselves and discipline the organization, not only financially, 
but from an effectiveness point of view. So they need a process that periodically, and this becomes a core discipline in the organization, to really have that honest conversation about how well it's working or not, and whether the fly is down or not. And, and that is basically, and also what's working, what's really worked. We got this thing is really, here are the good things about our organization. So at Beckton Dickinson, the, the organization, we're an ethical organization. We really, and we perform pretty well overall, but we're damn poor at moving into innovating, and which was what they were trying to do if, if they want to survive in the long run. So you need a long-term perspective. You can't manage to the quarters. You can't just manage to whatever Wall Street wants. Ed Ludwig decided to tell Wall Street, you are not going to ask me where my quarterly earnings are. I refuse to start the conversation that way. I will start the conversation by telling you what we're doing. We can then talk about what the effect is on quarterly earnings this quarter, but what the likely effects are going to be in the long term. Wall Street has these calls and they call them. So he said, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not, I'm not even going to give you guidance. That's a stupid thing to do. So, because I don't know how things are going to go from quarter to quarter. I know where we're trying to go. That's a long-term perspective. And how many general managers of division managers or whatever have that conversation with their CEO? Well, the CEO should have that perspective, but they don't have that conversation. Oh, you want to do this? I'll, I'll get the organ. No, that is. So you need a long-term perspective. You need courage. You need humbleness and you need courage. Those are the, the real fact, human factors in effective leadership, which is very hard to find. And most people don't have them. So they need to develop them. Again, I argue as Peter Drucker said, Good leaders are developed because they understand what the practices are that they need to adopt. It, we're talking about how do you adopt the practice? Well, I may not fit that practice. You either learn it to do it well or you can't succeed uh, any more than you can you know, be a good engineer without having the brains to figure out. And by the way, none of this really requires brains. The smartest person on the block is not always the, and often isn't the best leader. They're too smart for their own good. Finkelstein at Dartmoor wrote a book about smart managers and why they fail. And what did he come up with? The same thing we've come up with. They do not want advice. They do not ask people to become involved in telling them the truth. And uh, ultimately, the organization takes a plummet. You've teed us up beautifully for the finale. And I, I just always think, I mean, man, your friend and colleague, Mike Tushman, he, he, he said, like, you, this idea of strategic renewal is absolutely a Gordian knot with personal renewal. The, the, there's no way of escaping those things. And to be good, to be good Sports player is the same to be a good manager. You gotta, you gotta have a coach. You gotta keep working on yourself. You gotta admit your weaknesses. You don't doesn't mean that you're weak by having weaknesses. Everybody has. So, uh, I, have I, I have them. Sure, absolutely. Yep. Like everybody does, and I, I find that a real struggle for leaders because 
there there is fear in there about admitting those weaknesses as well and i think uh, it's one of the things i learned about this show is just that you that it's ne you're never stopping learning yeah you, you got to keep learning and learning and it's it's a real honor to learn from you and i've learned so much from this book and uh, i really look forward well, to it. the managers i've dealt with by how they have dealt with problems w well or not yeah uh, yeah and, and then like the guys you wrote about being so humble to be written about as well and being open to being written about is a is a huge uh, credit to those guys as well I, I i want to leave you with the final word on this and i do I, i'm really looking forward to your new book focusing on these silent killers as well i know we're going to collaborate again in the future but i wanted to leave you with the final word a kind of a, a clarion call or a call to arms for our audience for those leaders out there those people who work in H hr lnd people who are working leading those different silos within an organization what's your final call to them mike my call to them both the leaders and people say in hr is don't think that training itself is the right answer to change. Change involves putting yourself at risk, getting the coaching. So that's one of the roles of HR, but leaders need to be willing to be coached and to learn in many ways what real problems exist, not just individually, interpersonally, but at the organization level of analysis. You've got to know and have clear transparency into the strengths and weaknesses of the organization. And inevitably, you are part of why they are there. So you have to look at yourself, be honest and look yourself in the mirror and try to get a clear mirror view. And if you don't have it, get asked the questions and inquire. And my argument is these are difficult to do. You need a discipline and a disciplinary structure and process for doing it to help you with that or or some other way that meets the basic principles you protect people to be honest take the information and do something about it be accountable to your own people and your own organization for your leadership you get better when you are accountable to them for changing what you hear, first asking them and changing in a way that they can see that the honest conversations have really re led to fairly dramatic changes in the organization. And that process never stops because all the human capabilities, I'm talking all the management organization and leadership capabilities that are the silent killers that are, are, are a decrement and capability and it always goes on because we we bring new people in, people leave. We're human. We don't remember and we can't sustain some of the habits that we need to have. So you need a constant process of improvement because if you don't improve, you fall back. As an athlete, you know that better than anything else. You've got to train. You've got to uh, work at it constantly or you are not going to win on the field i don't think organizations are any different the practice is different it's not physical but it's learning about how we operate as a group which is fitness in the sense of an athletic fitness 
which you can't get without a some honest conversation and willingness to have it, the courage to have it. Wonderful, Mike. Wonderful. And I just want to on, uh, remind our audience, I have a copy of Fit to Compete up for grabs for the Innovation Show audience as well. Just don't forget, subscribe to our Substack channel and you'll be automatically included in that. So it's it's a brilliant book, Fit to Compete, Why Honest Conversations About Your Company's Capabilities Are the Key to a Winning Strategy. And I am so grateful to our guest for a deep dive into that book. And we didn't even get near it, as I said. Mike, for people who want to reach out and find you, where is the best place for those who didn't hear us in the earlier episodes? Well, there are two, two or three ways to find me. The first one and the most important one is my own website, Beer, capital B, Michael, capital M, dot com. And I have a website that includes many of it, includes an introduction to the book, the actual introduction. So you can get introduced to the ideas there. There are some blogs, some article, many articles that I and my colleague Russ Eisenstadt have written and others, including one on the great training robbery, why leadership development doesn't work. And all those are on there and uh, a perspective on where I come from. The second is I also have a Harvard site, which cites all the books that I've written. I've written 12 or been involved in 12. I haven't all done them by myself. Uh, and uh the third thing is you can call me. If you're a leader and you're running into a dilemma, I'm willing to spend up to a half hour with you talking that through. My mission in life is to make, create a better management and organizational practices and functioning. That's my role in life. Beautiful, Mike. It's been an absolute honor and I loved every second of it. Mike Beer, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Aiden, and thank you, audience, for listening. Mic drop. <laughs> Brilliant, man.